then later as the Secretary of the Home Missions Division and now pastoring in Pensacola, Florida, and many, many other things he's done in the kingdom. We all love him and revere him. We appreciate his ministry. He's coming to preach to us right now. Give a big welcome to Brother Brian Kinsey from Pensacola, Florida. Brother Grisham and Brother Godair for a tremendous word from the Lord. I appreciate their ministry today and I was finished. Both of those messages fit like hand in glove. And I guarantee you that you have a greater desire and a greater motivation to want to go home and see that kind of revival in your own local church and to see it in your own city. And I believe we're going to do it in Jesus' name. And when Brother Grisham was talking about that young preacher or that young minister that had too big of a burden to take the time to read all of those materials to qualify himself for ministerial license, I, I was reminded of what Brother Tenney told a bunch of young ministers that left the altar service in the youth camp too soon, and they were there to be altar workers. They wanted to get their ball clothes on so they could go out and play ball. And so he brought them into the office and said, I could pick your burden up with a pair of tweezers and carry it around in a thimble. Well, I want you to know I believe that God's put a greater burden on us than just that in this conference. And I thank God for that so very, very much. I appreciate Brother Paul Mooney, District Superintendent of Indiana, Pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, an awesome man of God. I appreciate his encouraging word. Every time I'm around, Brother Mooney's always lifting people up. He's always speaking that special word of encouragement. And I want to say, Brother Mooney, I thank you for that. So many people have that negative concept and they have that negative spirit in them, but Brother Mooney doesn't. He has that desire to speak that word of faith into your life and to see you do well in the kingdom of God. And I appreciate that very, very much. If we're going to see this revival as God sees it, and if we're going to reap the harvest that Brother Grisham talked about, and we are going to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that anybody, at any time, anywhere, can have this revival, we are going to have to learn how to pray a special kind of prayer. If we're going to preach with the power that moves people into action, then there's going to have to be a prayer that determines and changes people's destiny. And I want to preach about that kind of prayer today in John 15 and 7. And I know that the hour is late and I appreciate you so much staying for this message. Thank you very, very much. But I am conscious of the time and I am not going to preach long. So if you will get with me, we are going to bless you with the word of the Lord. John 15 and 7. If ye abide in me... And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. I want us to lift our hands right now and thank the Lord for his word. Jesus, thank you for your word. It is powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we desire that you would anoint it. And you would bless it to the hearts and the lives of every individual in this place. God, we want to bring this revival home with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When Brother Cunningham and Brother Jones, Brother Grisham and Brother Godair were preaching, I couldn't help but feel that overwhelming desire that I want to bring home what they are preaching to Pensacola. 
I don't want to just simply hear about it in the conference, but I want to be changed by it and go home and have that kind of revival. I love to hear the reports, and please don't misunderstand me. I want to hear more great reports from all over the world of what God is doing. But I want to be a part of that revival in my own location and in my own place, doing my part for it. And I believe that if we will pray like Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we will experience that kind of revival. Calvary loomed as a great shadow over the heart of Jesus as He made His way to Gethsemane with His disciples. And as the pressure of the moment began to swell in His spirit, the pain was almost unbearable. And it was at this time that He chose those three special disciples to travel further into the olive grove, hoping that they would share in His excruciating trial of decision. But instead, they slept unaware that their eternal destiny was being determined and Jesus therefore continued alone. Sometimes you're not going to have anyone there with you to pray with you. You've got to do it alone. But it's in the alone times when we are alone with God that God can do His greatest work within us and impact us in a manner that can change us forever. And that's what Gethsemane was really all about. It was a decision. Two choices were set before Jesus. Two roads stretched out in front. And which would He choose? It was more than just a matter of conveniently choosing what would be the easiest way. This was a matter for eternity. He knew which way was harder, but souls hung in the everlasting balance of purpose. And if He made the right choice, millions would be saved. But if He made the other choice, He could only save Himself. I want to make the right choice with the preaching that we've heard. That when I go home, I'm not going to pray like I used to pray. I'm not going to be like I used to be. And I'm not just going to have church as business as usual. It's time for us to put forth an extraordinary effort. It's not a time to sit around and look dull and wait for somebody to entertain us and push the right buttons to get us into the spirit or into a realm of sensuality or entertainment. It's time for us to push into the presence of the King where the power of God can make a difference in our lives. It's not just preaching a good message. It's knowing that the power of God is with you when you preach the truth. Uh, that's what's going to change people. Uh, that's what's going to make the difference. I'm going to tell you, we can't out-entertain the world. The world's got more money and they've got more flashy lights and they can afford all the best equipment and they can afford the best actors. Uh, but we're not here putting on an act. Uh, we are here to change the destiny of people's direction. And wouldn't it be wonderful if today in this service and in its conclusion that you would be changed in this moment and in this instant. Because revival doesn't always start with a crowd. It starts with one person that says, I'm not satisfied any longer. I want more. It starts with one man that has a burden that says, I can't accept the things the way they are. The mockers at the cross spoke well, but they didn't realize what they were saying. They spoke the truth, but from a scorner's perspective. He saved others, but himself he could not save. If he chose to save himself, then there would be no church, no Pentecost, and all hope for humanity's redemption would forever be lost. Jesus knew that before He made that eternal choice, He had to go into the presence of the King and pray.
An observer of one of the great battles of the Civil War, Gettysburg, said it was one of the most decisive battles of any war ever fought. Of course, there were other battles before the surrender of Appomattox, but Gettysburg was the deciding factor, and so was Gethsemane. And Jesus chose His prayer before He made His choice. You see, prayer and revival go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. We've got to have great praying if we're going to have great revival. And when you study the history of revival, you can't find a single instance when God moved in power among the masses that somehow it was not born in somebody's heart through the womb of prayer. Prayer births unity when you get into the presence of the King. It changes your attitude. When you really get in, I'm not talking about going through the vain repetition and just going through the motions of staying saved and say, I don't want the pastor to be on my back, so I'm going to go to prayer meeting now. I'm talking about outstanding prayer. I'm talking about crying out to God. You can't keep the same attitude. You can't stay mad at everybody and keep bitterness in your heart and have chips on your shoulder and angry because God's blessing somebody else besides you. The greatest test of whether or not you're going to have revival is the attitude you've got about the person you don't like uh, that's having it now. But if you'll get into an old-fashioned prayer meeting so God can change your attitude, uh, He will give you the same. I said He will give you the same Holy Ghost revival. Come on, preacher. You've stood for truth. You've preached holiness. And it hasn't happened the way you believed. And you have hope for it. But it's going to in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, it's going to in Jesus' name. I can't explain every event that takes place in life. But I can tell you that if somehow we can get in the presence of the Master, He can make it all better. Because He's got the answer. Hallelujah. You see, prayer can create unity or at least help us maintain that unity. Revival is the result of prayer where souls are saved and lives are changed. And God is calling this church, you, Mark Conference, to prayer. But not just any kind of praying. It's not this Jesus, Jesus, oh God, oh God all the time. That vain repetition doesn't impress God and it doesn't scare hell. But we need the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man that will move heaven into action and put the devil on the run. Unity is an absolute necessity if we are going to see a demonstration of the Holy Ghost because God, when He moves in the Spirit, His first action is to bring us into one mind and one accord and say that we need to get together and be committed for His purpose. We've got to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. That means you've got to work at it. And some of you have been off the job and been laid off for a long time and it's time for you to get back on the job and I'm putting you back to work. You need to, you need to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That means you've got to put yourself down in Jesus first. Put yourself on the altar and put Jesus on the throne of your life and say, whatever you want, God, I'm not praying my will, but it's thy will. It's not my kingdom, it's thy kingdom. It's not what I'm going to get out of it, it's what you can do through this prayer. Oh my God, get a hold of us. Somehow we have prayed for the wrong reasons and we have prayed with wrong motives. But God, help us today to pray with a desire to see the kingdom come and thy will be done in earth.
earth uh, as it is in heaven. Uh, God wants to save every drug addict. Uh, God wants to save every alcoholic. Uh, God wants to bring them into the church uh, by the dozens, by the hundreds. Uh, but somebody's got to think it and pray it before it's going to happen. See, you see, it hit home to me. It just hit me right between the eyes when I went to Pensacola and the very first person that got the Holy Ghost while I was pastor there in May of this year, the very first person was a young lady by the name of Amanda. And of course, she was so excited about her religion and her new found experience and we baptized her in Jesus' name that night. And so she goes home and tells her dad and her dad says, I don't want nothing to do with that cult. You pack your bags and you get out of the house. He threw her out of the house that very instant. And then I realized, my goodness, you got to pay a price. Some people have to pay a price to belong to what we have and what we're enjoying here. And I got to thinking about it. And she's still in church. She's still shouting the victory. And she said, Brother Kenzie, I'm going to win my dad. And I believe we're going to win him before it's over with. We're going to get him in church. And we're going to win that whole family to Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, there's some people that's got to pay a price. And so we need powerful praying now you see jesus did something special when he moved away from his three special disciples in the garden of gethsemane and each of the gospel writers said something a little different about that moving away from his disciples and they each one recorded the incident but they each said something different about it and so i want to show you what that difference is and i believe that when we find out the difference you'll see what true praying can do for this revival in your life. Now you remember something. Only answered prayer is powerful. The act of praying is not powerful. There's a lot of people that pray. Islam prays to Muhammad and they pray to Allah for Allah's blessing upon their life. But I don't believe that Allah hears their prayers. There's people that pray in the Hindu religion and they're very faithful with their praying, but I don't believe that all of the gods in Kali and all of the gods of the Hindu religion can answer their prayer. But I do believe that when you call on that one name and that name is Jesus, I said when you call on that one name and you're crying out to the one who is God, I'm not talking about another God. I'm talking about the one true living God. When you get to praying in the name of Jesus, I believe all of heaven snaps to attention and God can answer somebody that will call on Him in prayer. You see, when God doesn't answer my prayer, I know that something is wrong with me and I have to examine myself. Either i got to get rid of something that's in the way of God or I need to change what I'm praying for because I'm praying for the wrong thing. Hmm, that went over like a ham sandwich at a Jewish wedding, but it's the truth anyhow. Boy, y'all didn't even jump up. There was no shouting. God can do it anytime, anywhere. Whoa, no shouting on that one. But it's the truth in now. You either need to change what you're praying for or change your spirit or change something in your life. You need to align yourself with God's perfect will. You're disjointed. You're out of alignment with what God really wants for your life. Brother Cunningham and Brother Grisham and Brother Godair connected us to the purpose. And then Brother Jones made us realize the other side of the coin. He connected us to the need. God responds to his purpose and God responds to needs when faith is released in Jesus Christ. 
So whether you need him or whether there is divine purpose beating in your bosom right now and a passion to see God's purpose fulfilled in your life, whichever way, God will answer you when you start praying like I'm talking about right now. It's time for us to really cry out to God. The four progressions of prayer that Jesus moved away from his disciples. And it was said in John 18 and 2, And Judas also which betrayed him knew the place where he prayed. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. The one who betrayed him knew exactly where he prayed because he was there consistently over and over and over again. And he couldn't forget the place where Jesus prayed. Let me tell you something. Satan knows the place where you pray. And if he's going to battle you, he's going to come to you in your prayer life and he's going to shut it down. And what he's going to do is he's going to try to tempt you to turn away from your profession of who you are in Jesus Christ. The first thing the devil questioned when Jesus stepped out into the wilderness after he fasted for 40 days, he was tempted and he said, If thou be the Son of God, first thing the devil's going to do is question whether or not you have a right to possess this promise that you're praying for. Well, I think that issue's been settled better than I can settle it, and I believe it's been settled already in the preaching. Now, we've got a right. What gives you this right? Jesus gave us the right by His grace that anytime, anywhere, anybody can have this deliverance. But you see, the devil is going to question it, and you better believe anything that heaven ever tells about you or prophesies about you, hell hears what heaven says. And hell's going to challenge it, and the devil's going to do everything he can to defeat it. But I've got news for you. Your prayer can prevail over the enemy. The devil may be big and he may be bad, but I'm going to tell you, he's not bigger and badder than my Jesus. Prayer is a battlefield, but I'm not going to waste away and I'm not going to put my prayer sword up in the scabbard and let it rust. I'm going to pull that sword forth and fight the enemy with everything that I've got in the spirit. The devil wants to shut down this revival because some of you have heard it and heard it and heard it and never have seen it. And you say, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. It's time for you to start believing it whether you've seen it or not because God wants to do it for you. Come on, we need to get a hold of a praying that we don't care about the personality. We don't care about the showmanship in the pulpit. We've got one hunger and one desire. It's Jesus glorified by what happens. Somebody needs to get a hold of it and turn Mark Conference upside down. That says preach, preach, preach the word. And I will let the Holy Ghost move. On me. You see, prayer may be communion with God, but don't ever forget it's also a battlefield. And Satan knows that place. And he wants to shut it down. And you know, the most difficult thing to do is to pray even though you're disillusioned and you're discouraged and you're disappointed because the results have not been there. But you've got to wait patiently. And so sometimes praying is a waiting game. And you've got to learn how to wait. But you've got to wait right. You can't wait wrong. You got to wait right. Some of us wait wrong. And so when you wait wrong, you get a wrong spirit. You get a wrong viewpoint and you get a little antsy and you get a little bit discouraged with God. And you get mad at God. 
We don't talk much about that in Pentecost, but we need to talk about that today. Some of you are angry with God, and you need to stop being angry with God. Because it's really not God's fault. God wants to do this work greater than you want it to happen. And what you need to do is just wait on Him because the harvest is here and the revival is here and the time is now. Yes, it's a battlefield. Yes, you've got to make up in your mind you're going to fight. But I like what Jesus did. He said in Luke twenty-two forty-one, And He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Now this word withdraw in the Greek language means to unsheathe a sword. It actually means the word picture that goes with it is to take the sword from its scabbard and raise it in defiance to your enemy as you're preparing for battle. Hmm, I like it. Well, that ought to give us a whole new understanding of what's going on in the prayer room before church. It's just everybody getting a hold of the hilt of their sword and removing it from the scabbard and face and just just let the devil know I'm preparing myself to win victory in Jesus' name. Oh, you got to withdraw yourself because you can't do this in the crowd. You do that, you're liable to cut everybody's head off. You got to kind of get alone if you're going to pull that sword. You got to be careful, especially if you've sharpened it and it's ready to go. I just want you to know this sword is sharp. This word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can divide asunder in an instant. And it can discern between the soul and the spirit. You see, you can almost create the same emotional effect in a soulish realm that you can in a spiritual realm. You can, with a professional performance, give people the sense that God's in the place when really it's just an emotional response to a good performance. And in order for you to find out the difference, there's only one way, and that's the word. The Word separates between the soul and the spirit. I don't want just the soulish realm and what we can do in the soulish realm because that's only temporary. And when you walk out of here and the emotion's over, the whole experience is over. But when the Word goes to work in your life and you've been praying and seeking God and the Spirit begins to move with power. And when that spirit gets a hold of you, you find out something different's going on in this house. Uh, there's something else, man. You can't have a move of God in a conference when everybody's tired and sleepy and hungry. Uh, oh, yes, you can. Uh, when you're in the spirit, you can. Hallelujah. When you're in the spirit uh, and there's something grinding on the inside uh, that says, I'm going to withdraw myself about a stone's cast. Because when you put yourself in that position, you put yourself in a position to get become a target and get hit with a stone. And the devil's going to throw stones at you, but go ahead and let him throw it because I promise you, if you'll just stay on your knees in prayer, God will give you a protective armor that no enemy can penetrate, no stone can dent, and nothing can bruise or offend because great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Come on, church, let's keep on praying. Let's keep on believing. Let's keep on trusting that God's going to give us this revival. Those of you that are hurting, those of you that have been disappointed, those of you that have been under extra attack from the devil, I've been praying for you. Some of you got cancer and don't know why. You've lived God for God all your life, but cancer's eating up in your body. But God somehow is going to give us the miracle power. I got a precious lady in my church right now. She is precious. She loves this truth. She is, a, she is an apostolic individual. And she prays. She's a soul winner. She's a prayer warrior. And she puts up with her husband. And that's a miracle. 
she's got cancer. And I'm just saying, my God, my God, I, I've got a few people that I'd like to give that cancer to. Not really. But you know, Lord, why? And you just can't give an answer and you can't give an explanation of why. But you can say this, uh, that God knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm believing for a miracle in her body. God healed her once of this cancer, and I believe that God can do it again. It's trying to come back, but I believe that God can do it again in Jesus' name. And I know that the Lord is going to do it, and we're going to see a great anointing. But you see, also, you got to understand Mark's gospel, where he describes the same moment in Gethsemane, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You know, some too many people are praying to get back to what they used to be. They're always wanting yesterday's blessings because they got a cinnamon uh, attachment to it. And they're always wanting to get back. Well, if you get back to what you used to be, you're going to cycle out and be, be right back in the same mess you were that, that you're in now. You're going to be right back in it. Because if you get back to what you used to be, it's not going to keep you any longer than it did before. So why don't you go forward a little? Say, well, I can't go forward a lot. Well, do a little. Say, but I can't do a lot. Do a little. I'm going to pray till I at least move forward a little. And even if I fall on my face, if I'm praying, I'm still going to be all right because God is going to lift me up. I honestly believe that Moses is the perfect example of this kind of praying. It's taking action when you know the direction. And when God told him, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Moses told him to stand still. The people wanted to go back to Egypt. And God was saying, Go forward. Now which one are we going to listen to? There's only one voice that I know to listen to, and that's to tune my ear to the one that's given me the marching orders. Forward, my! Even if it's a little, let's pray till we move forward a little. You say, but I don't see much happening. Well, if a little's happening, keep on praying because where that little is, if you kindle a fire, it can in an instant uh, turn in uh, to an inferno. Uh, if there's enough material in the house uh, to catch fire with. Come on, it's not time for wet wood in the pulpit and dull faces and bored saints. Uh, it's a time for igniting the fire in our spirit. That says, I'm going to pray until the Holy Ghost moves me forward a little. And if I fall on my face, I'm just going to get back up and I'm going to obey the command I found in prayer. Because I promise you, God will give you something to do. He'll give you the action you're supposed to take if you're really praying. He'll either tell you to stand still and hush. He'll tell you, leave the situation alone and don't mess with it. Or he'll tell you no. Well, that's fun. How many of you ever heard God say no? Has God ever closed the door in your life? If he's never said no and he's never closed the door in your life, you've never really heard from God because he will do that. Because sometimes he'll open up three or four doors just to see what you're going to do with it. And see if you'll just jump at whichever one you think is the best offer. But then God says, you better step back from that and you better say, now God, I can't choose. You've got to close some doors uh, so I'll know which one's the left, which, one, which one's open and which one's left so I can walk through it. Well, I just want you to know that if you're going to hear from God, you've got to be able to, to allow God to tell you no and shut some doors. Because I thanked God for my closed doors so much in my life and I thank God for those closed doors. 
But when they do open and it's right and you walk through it, you can at least go forward a little. So let's pray and go forward a little. How many of you will go with me? How many of you will go with me? But I like what Matthew said, the final gospel, and I'm closing, 2639. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. If I can just go a little farther. How many people have I heard saying this day, I've gone as far as I can go. But if I could get you into a place of prayer, I can get you to go a little farther. Brother Kenzie, I'm fed up. I've gone as far as I can go. But you haven't gone as far as God can go. How many of you ever said that? I've gone as far as I can go. I've said it, and I've said it too many times. But I want you to know, if I can ever get into a prayer meeting with God where there's a real move of the Holy Ghost and I'm really crying out to Him and He visits me there, I can go a little farther. Come on, church, just a little farther. If you would push just a little more, if you could just get a little better attitude, if you could just go forward a little, God would turn everything around. It's when you get stuck in the rut. It's when you get stuck in the mud. And you've got to always defend and justify your position. That's when you're in trouble. But if you can come out of that rut and shake the mud off your wheels and say, I may not be able to go far, but I'm going to go a little farther. Come on, young minister. Come on, Bible students. I know the pressure's on. You gotta work. You gotta go to school. But if you can just go a little farther, if you can just hold on a little longer, if you can just stay connected a little more, God would turn it around and you'll develop a ministry that won't quit when the going gets tough. I believe that we haven't gone far enough. We need to go the extra mile. We need, a, we need a second mile church in a one mile world. We need somebody that says, I'll do a little more. I'll go a little further. I'll pray a little harder. I'll get a hold of God. Because if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That word done is genomai, which goes back to the Hebrew word for creation. In Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it really actually means uh, if it does not exist, I will create it for you. Put that back in the verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And if it does not exist, I will create it for you. God can create something out of nothing. Satan may know the place and we may have to pay the price of aloneness with God. But if we through prayer can be moved forward a little at those special moments of trial and go a little further, we can ask what we will. And if it doesn't exist, God will create it. What do you want? It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What do you want from God? In this calamitous hour in the affairs of men, I believe it demands a healthy, revival, holy church. This blatant manifestation of evil and all of the people that surround us that have given up on the Word of God and its moral values and the violation of all God's commandments that are in that book. All of this world may turn their back, but it calls for somebody's faith that will not shrink. Can we let our prayer swords rust in the scabbards of doubt and shall our prayer harps hang tuneless on the willows of unbelief if God is the God of matchless power and incredible might? 
And if the Bible is the unchangeable word of the living God, and if the virtue of Christ is as fresh today as when He first made the offering of Himself to God after His resurrection, and if He is the one and only true mediator today, and if the Holy Ghost can quicken us as He did the Azusa Street Revival, then all things are possible today! When the storm was raging and it looked like they were going to lose everything and the ship was going down, an angel stood by Paul and gave him the confidence uh, that no soul would be lost. Uh, So he went up to the top of the deck to make that announcement to the men uh, and said, Sirs, I believe God! And that was his declaration uh, that everything's going to be all right. I'm telling you, things look like they're falling apart around us. Perhaps they are. And I'm going to join Paul and I'm going to ask you, will you join me? I'm going to say with faith today, Sirs, ladies and gentlemen, I still believe God. Will you join me? Will you join me? Sirs, I believe God. I believe God for you. And I know that you believe God. Now, you see, the Bible says where two agree touching any one thing. So I want you to find a faith buddy around and just get you one other person where two agree touching any one thing, okay? Find you a faith buddy. Somebody that will join in faith with you. got a sickness in your body you tell them you got infirmity you got a situation bigger than you are that you need God to help you with you tell them right now if you want revival if you want to move a God whatever whatever you want a breakthrough or, or just some emotional barrier that you're going through in your mind and you can't break it and, and it's got you discouraged and it's got you stuck in the mud and you need to get moved forward just a little so you can go on for God That's understandable. Just say, I've got a need, and and I can't tell you what it is, but here it is. So I want you to agree. I want you to agree with that faith buddy, and I want you to say, I believe God that God can answer our prayer. You do it right now. Let this message move you into action. Let this message put faith in your praying. Hallelujah. That's it. I feel some faith rising in the house. I feel some connection in the spirit. Where two agree, touching any one thing. If you're believing God for a breakthrough for your family to be saved. If you're believing God for a situation that's bigger than you are in your family where divorce has hit and ravaged souls and lives and adultery has come and split up homes. You claim victory right now. Don't let it spoil your joy in the Lord. Rise above it. Pray, church. Get in the spirit. Get out of the soulless realm and into the spirit realm.
Hallelujah. 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 I want revival if you want it. Believe God for it. If you're hurting on the inside, I understand that. We've all been there. If you're stuck in the mud, I've been there. You're hurting. I understand that. God's able to minister to you. You say, Brother Kenzie, everything's going wrong. I understand. God's going to love you anyway. You just go ahead and pray in the Spirit until God shows you that He cares, until He shows you how special you are and significant you are to the kingdom of God. You're not just another saint. You're not just another preacher. And you're not just another number. But you're counted among the righteous and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you got a special place in the heart and the place of the king's heart. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Ministers of the platform, I believe Brother Mooney's found the mind of God. Why don't we just go through the audience and lay hands on people as you feel led of the Holy Ghost? Would you do that? Would you just go? And if you're a minister out there, would you help us? Would you just step out? There's people praying here, and you may not have a clue about what's going on in their life. But your prayer might determine their destiny and change it. When you're in the Spirit praying, you can change the destiny. Jesus altered his destiny when he prayed in Gethsemane. And it would have been all right for him. But only one choice to save you and me. And I'm so glad he made it. He made the right choice. He chose Calvary. And now I can be saved. And you can be saved. And your family can be saved. The whole world can be saved. the palm of his hand. He'll never forget you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. 